you know, you're, you're eating food. It's much easier to get a piece of food out of your teeth with a toothpick or dental floss than it is with your fingernail. It's it's easier to clean your teeth with a toothbrush than it is with you know your your finger with some toothpaste on it, and even easier with an electric toothbrush, right? It's a me. It's kind of those are the two ways it works out. It's a means to an end, or if you get hired by Google, it's an activity that you do, right? It's something you make. It's something you produce or engage with in your daily life, for money or for pleasure, whatever. And the humanist default idea here is that it's something that you pick up when you need it and then you put down when you don't need it, but it's very much separate from you. And Heidegger's the first one to say this is, well, maybe Marx. Anyway, we'll just say Heidegger because he defines or writes a, a little essay on it. But it's something that you pick up and put down and then it's not a part of you. It is out there. It is like an other. And the big contrast between the humanist and posthumanist view of technology is the posthumanist view is like, this is not an other. It's more than a prosthetic. It's something that works over your mind. Your mind is created by techniques. So you can't put it down even when you're not using it. Yeah, there's some really interesting examples that come up, um, especially in this Francesca Ferrando book, Philosophical Posthumanism. I think I mentioned that in the last episode. That's where I'm drawing a lot of stuff from. Um, but yeah, Heidegger, I mean, we, we did an episode on that, so you can go back and listen to that. But skip, skipping to the end, right? Like posthumanism, the, the founding view of technology is that technology is a way of revealing, right? That's, that's the conclusion Heidegger is going to get to. Technology is a revealing. And what does that mean? You have to go back and think about, okay, the Greeks already had our two answers we gave, right? Technology is something we we do or something we make. It's techne. And it's, and it's kind of, it relies on knowledge, okay? It relies on knowing things about the world. So it's episteme as well. And that's why today, you know, you go to a university and you're interested in this stuff, you might take science and technology studies, right? That's those things go together, techne and episteme. But but Heidegger says what's fallen out of the equation is poesis. The the kind of this kind of uh, process of revealing that we engage in when we create. So you think of poetry or or jamming with friends when you're a musician, or even just sort of well, you can think of even plants and flowers and things that grow, right? That's a kind of poesis as well, right? For the Greeks, right? Nature was this kind of sacred place and inspiration to write poetry comes from this divine origin and it reveals these truths to you. And so this sort of third, this bringing forth or this revealing is 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 poesis. It's the part that we forgot basically about what technology is. <laughs> so that's the answer. Anyway, what is technology? Technology is a is a revealing, and what is revealed. This process of revealing is again called aletheia, right? That sort of revealing that that Greek word for truth. It's kind of literally means sort of un unforgetting or disforgetting, but it, it just kind of means also revealing, as Heidegger puts it, bringing something concealed into unconcealment. Very sort of very sort of backwards Heidegger way of speaking, but that's 
That's the part we forget. So I guess a good example is computers, right? We understand today, especially how convenient and modular computers are. They could be any way. And of course, they are many ways. They are handheld. There are things that we have to sit in front of at our desks. They are also being put everywhere else. You can remote sensors, satellites, computers are freaking everywhere. But, you know, since they've been this thing we sit in front of for so long, they have shaped us. I have back problems frequently. If if I was if if my computer was designed for me to stand up and walk around, then it would be different. But it's a certain, you know, it's revealed in a certain way. It's it's <laughs> unfolded in, in a certain destiny to badly attempt to use Heideggerian language. Um, and that's the way it is. It could be some other way. It's a kind of revealing process that humans are simply involved in. It's not something we achieve mastery over because you can't. You can't master technology. And it's not simply a means to an end. It can be, and it obviously is. But when that's the only way we look at it, when we look at it as mastery, something we have mastery over, something we make and something we use to get what we want. This is what Heidegger calls inframing, right? It reduces nature to a standing reserve. It reduces technology to a challenging nature rather than a letting nature be what it is. So we challenge the sun for its energy. We challenge rivers to give us that water power to turn our mills. We challenge the minerals to help us make nukes or wedding rings or whatever people are getting from those mines. Cell phones, again, <laughs> come from certain mines. Anyway, yeah, so that's that's the ground zero point of view for posthumanism on technology. One of, one of the focuses is set by Heidegger. And the revealing, if we can focus on that for a second, the revealing reveals the world in one way as opposed to another. So this this is contrast to a different humanist conceit that you, you hear probably all the time still, that technology is just neutral. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. You can make uh, hammers or you can make swords. You know, hammers are good for construction. Swords are just made to kill people. And Heidegger takes issue with that. He says, that's what, I mean, as you just explained, Eric, that's what that revealing is. It's not neutral. It's going to create the world in its image. And inc that includes human beings. So humans are shaped by the technologies that they used. If you, you brought this up last week, if you are a longbowman, it'll change your, your body. Um, and what's, that's, kind of an obvious point, almost not even worth making. But when we go into Stiegler territory, why this matters is that this shapes not only your body, but also your mind. Um, his book, Technics and Time, is about how technics creates time. So it's not, there's a human plus technology just moving through history. No, the human and technology are now, you could call them the same organism. They, they evolve together. Now, his big example, of course, is uh, the technology of writing. We didn't always have writing. We had, I don't want to go into the three types of memory, but there's, there's two types of memory, and uh, Stiegler wants to bring up a third, where you store your thought in books. I think I brought this up on a previous podcast. But storing your thoughts in books changes the way that you think about time, history, your place in history, if you have a place in history, 
Um, and it also habituates, uh, to use a phenomenology term that we've been using often, it habituates your world in a certain, a certain way. So you can't just drop a technology because it's now prosthetic. It's prosthetic to your mind. It's prosthetic to the way you sit. It's prosthetic in the way you interact with people, probably. So it overworks and reveals the human being as a special kind of creature. And you can't even separate, for a posthumanist, you can't even separate the notion of human from human technologies. And we kind of brought that up a little bit last time with systems. But if you, if you think of memory, like our analogies for memory these days uh, are kind of, they're overcoded, you could say, by computer talk. Like, I don't have enough... I don't have enough space to remember all these things. I know that's not the way the human memory works in your, in your brain, but we kind of talk about it in computer terms. Whereas maybe 60 years ago, you would have talked about your memory in book terms. And that's not just an analogy in language. That's actually the way we consider storing knowledge, either as a, as a culture of the book, um, you might store the words of God, in, in a holy text, in a culture of the book. And in our world, the, the transhuman world, we continuously think of our brains in terms of a calculating machine or a computer. And uh, then, we can, uh, then we can conceive of molding technology to resemble our brain. And now suddenly you have the idea of artificial intelligence. So yeah, these things are intertwined and it's not recent, right? Stiegler goes back to hammers in 10,000 BC and says, uh, what's the word? Epiphylogenesis. And epiphylogenesis means human movement is stored in the hammer as an object itself. You can never separate the, the hammer from the human body, at least in a, in a form of external memory that we have put there. Now, if you think of this in systems theory, I said we wouldn't do this, but we're going to do a little bit. If you think of systems theory, you can think of writing as its own system separate from us that evolves with us. And that's what that epiphylogenesis or co-evolution, we keep putting energy into our technologies. And if you look at it from the perspective of technologies, they evolve and they cause our evolution in different ways. And yeah, this was this never needed to be thought really in history while while it's just like water wheels and hammers and swords were the only technology that we have. But then when we get to the 20th century, radios, television always on, it changes the layouts of houses, it changes architecture, it changes politics. Uh, that's where this stuff becomes like a really a matter that you have to pay attention to, that you can't ignore. It would be silly. That's why I kind of think it's silly to have a humanist view when there is no human that those people assume that there was. And we, we have evidence everywhere of that. Politics has changed by media. Anyway, that was a lot. Yeah. But all of it is just to say, when, when now you set about the task of trying to delimit the concept of the human, where you're going to put those boundaries, where you're going to put those limits, it's a lot tougher. Now, it's a lot less easy to ignore the fact that our physiology, psychology, and our society is completely 
overcoated by these technological creations, technological events, and their effects. Um, yeah, I mean, this thing about writing, obviously, Deleuze and Guattari and and Derrida were both keyed into this as well, right? Derrida is talking about écriture and Deleuze and Guattari talking about the writing machine. And you, even in simpler terms, you can just imagine, you know, how important it was when the alphabet came along. That's a kind of technology, right? Mm 